I measure wins and losses by pints of blood, by broken bones. Tudor Dimalenko, the crippler Chris Benoit, and the franchise, Shane Douglas, standing on one screen. and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to February of 1995, a volume two of this month's show, volume one, which you'll have probably listened to, but we haven't recorded yet. We'll be looking at uh, WCW, including the Super Raw pay-per-view, and WWF and the re-debut of Sid Vicious. But anyway, we're on to part two, which is a, an exclusive, look, well, not exclusive, but kind of exclusive in the sense that it's the only thing we're reviewing this month uh, of ECW. I'm being joined, as always, by Del Muir. Del, good evening. Hi, Bob. And make his debut, at least on, a, on an ECW taping. Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. Evening. Uh, Del, kick us off with the news. Yeah, biggest, biggest thing in the month in ECW last month, Bob. It's the return of Terry Funk. Um, February 25th in a, a surprise post-match angle that would end up involving Cactus Jack, Sandman, Tommy Dreamer and Shane Douglas. Um, Cactus was basically set up to face a mystery opponent in the night at Double Tables. And they were brought out to ringside in a large crate by Sandman and Woman. Um, the opponent was DC Drake, and he was hand-picked by the pair. Um, Cactus then beat Drake in quite a short match before fighting off a, a post-match attack for Sandman, bundling him into the crate. Sandman then re-emerged, as we thought, with Sandman covered in the cloth, covering the top of the crate. Once he got into the ring... Jack took off the cloth, and it wasn't Sandman, it was Terry Funk, and the crowd just exploded at this point. Funk and Sandman beat down on Jack, and even disposed of Tommy Dreamer, who came out, and a few of the lower mid-card wrestlers that sort of got a hiding too. Jack, curling in pain in the corner, pleaded for help on the microphone, and out came Shane Douglas. Douglas teased an alliance with Funk, Sandman, and Woman, before taking his world title belt, striking Sandman over the head for the second time in less than 10 minutes the roof nearly came off the ECW arena and a couple of tag team title changes this month the the 
titles changed from the public enemy. It was firstly to Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. They are now the the tag team champions of ECW, and it's actually part of a faction led by Shane Douglas calling themselves the Triple Threat. That was the end of the the month where they are now the champions. I say earlier on in the month, there was actually a changeover with Sabu and Taz Maniac. Um, they defeated the Public Enemy in the Double Tables match itself. The match itself was mad with, mad with controversy as the Public Enemy should have really won the match, but the referee had actually been distracted on the outside by the Taz Maniac and Rocco Rock putting Sabu through the table was missed. Um, and the same evening, that Funk came back, Sabu and Taz lost the, the championships to Benoit and Malenko. Regulars in Philadelphia are already calling Benoit the best wrestler to have ever appeared in the ECW arena. And it's no mean feat considering the company's also hosted the likes of Sabu and Terry Funk. Benoit's stocks were growing before that tag match as he and Al Snow competed in probably the match of the year so far at Double Tables. We'll be reviewing that in a bit. He also said that he'd been working very closely with Paul Heyman on cutting promos. He cut two this month on Hardcore TV. Speaking of promos, February's 21st show opened with an uninterrupted 30-minute promo by the franchise Shane Douglas. Douglas touched on a number of topics in his promo that almost acted on the history of himself and the company. And we end the news this month with the sad news of the death of Eddie Gilbert, who died at age just 33 in Puerto Rico on February the 18th, 1995. Gilbert, who had wrestled for both the WWF and Jim Crockett promotions in the 1980s, was head booker in ECW in 1993 before relinquishing the role to Paul Heyman. Jason, even I must admit that the pit bulls are one of the most awesome tag team combinations ever to compete in the sport of professional wrestling. Most recently, they are, well, they're responsible for the demise of the bad breed, and as you say, they may very well be the next Joey, ECW tag team champ. Joey, they are beautiful! They are beautiful, Joey! And I'm gonna tell you another thing that's beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a question for you all. How do you like my new suit?
a man whom not only I respect himself, but his parents for giving him a perfect name, Jason! And we move on to, well, first for us really in about 18 months since we last properly reviewed like an ECW live event as we we would do kind of a WWF or WCW pay-per-view. Uh, we move on to ECW Double Tables from February the 4th, 1995. Dale, kick us off with the results. Yeah, we open Bob. It's the Pitbulls and Jason. That's Jason the Terrible from Japan, not Jason the, the world's sexiest man. The Pitbulls and Jason defeating the Young Dragons and Hack Myers. Tommy Dreamer pins Steve Richards. Mikey Whipwreck beat Paul Lauria, the giant Paul Lauria. Ian Rotten beat his brother Axel. Chris Benoit, as Chris said, match to the night. Chris Benoit beat Al Snow. And the ECW World Champion Shane Douglas, he retained against Tully Blanchard in the two semi-main events. Cactus Jack defeated the Sandman in a Texas death match. And Sabu and Tasmaniac became the new ECW Tag Team Champions when they defeated the public enemy. Chris, what do you think of this show? It was a very pleasant change from what I have been watching with sort of actually finally getting to see a full ECW show and not sort of bits and pieces on the TV. And it was a great mix of wrestling and bat and walking brawls. It was everything I wanted to see in an ECW event. No. I'm just really glad that we've got, got somebody else on board with this ECW stuff, Bob. It's been undoubtedly a highlight. Do, do you not last... like reviewing it with me every month, though? Well, it's it's just nice to broaden that audience and get others on board, Bob. It's all right, well, well, well recovered. Um, the fivers in the post. Um, I mean, it's just it's undoubtedly our highlight in 1994. Just the rise of this company. I mean, there's been notable stories, the best probably storytelling in the in the country at the minute, and just getting the chance to review a a live event is pretty exciting stuff. And I mean, after last month in January. Bell to bell, the, the wrestling that was in show last month was impeccable for ECW, and I think it really deserves its place in the, the show this month, reviewing the full live event. Um, Chris, to, to come up briefly before we, we start the show with, with, um, with, with what you said, I, 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 firstly, I did enjoy the show, as, you know, and I often say, kind of, when we review the clash, I kind of say, well, I can't really score it on the same kind of scale as I would do a pay-per-view. Um, and in the same way, I can't really necessarily criticise this too much in terms of we were watching kind of a, a live event that was, as we'll see when we get to the TV review later in the show, was kind of, you know, pasted throughout the month on TV. Um, my main criticism of this, Chris, was probably kind of contradicting what you said, was that I thought the balance of wrestling and brawling was a bit too heavily skewed in favour of the brawling. It, there was there was a lot of brawling, but isn't that what ECW's really for? Well, all right, Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but some of it felt like, not brawling for brawling's sake, but, but, but to me it kind of felt like there were matches that didn't need to be quite that violent that, uh, it didn't aid other matches that needed to be violent standing out in that the Texas death match didn't quite stand out as much as it would have done on another show or for another company because what preceded it was Axel and Ian Rotten you know, beating the living crap out of each other and then the main event was a double tables match and the only real big benefit was that by and large, all the brawling towards the, the back half of the show didn't mean that Benoit and Al Snow, an already excellent match, stood out a lot further. True. Um, it very much sort of made the good wrestling parts shine more. 
um, and definitely sort of left them in the mind. Um, but even some of the early matches, I, I liked the wrestling in some of the, even the earlier matches, um, which we'll probably go through, we'll go through more as we go through each match in time. We will do. Dal, anything quickly to add on that? I think I, I kind of agree with you to an extent, Bob, just the, the kind of brawling side, it was definitely kind of at least 60-40, maybe 70-30, and I'm maybe being generous with those those percentages, but what we even look back at, and if we remember back to last month, and WWF, especially the IRS and Undertaker match, I think the ceiling that was set at the outset, they kind of done the best of what they could. I think a big part of it was maybe the the Shane Douglas Tully Blanchard match when they had that stinker in January. I think that could maybe have been weighted a bit further up the card if they had faith in the match. That would maybe have broke up the the Texas Death match and then the double tables. But definitely some positives that we'll that we'll go on to talk about. We open the show with Joey Styles and he is uh, at ringside. He's flanked by ECW chants. He introduces Jason, the sexiest man on earth, who introduces the Pitbulls. Jason asks the fans how they like his new suit. The fans chant Kmart suit back at him. <laughs> Jason then introduces Jason the Terrible from the Wing promotion in Japan. Uh, this Jason comes out wearing a full face mask and kind of a grey ripped boiler suit type thing. And we open with our first match of the evening, the Pitbull with Jason the Terrible. With Jason, sorry, the Pitbull with Jason the Terrible is a three-man team with Jason Knight, so I'm going to call Jason Knight for the rest of this review, uh, ringside, versus the Young Jag- Dragons and Hack Myers. Pitbull 1 opens up winning a test of strength against one of the Dragons. Pitbull 2 does a loose standing suplex that sees him drops the dragon, one of the Dragons on his arm and shoulder. He gets into it with Hack Myers on the apron who gets tragged in. One of the Dragons has been unmasked. The fans are chanting Shah every time Myers attacks. He is the Shah man of ECW. The Pitbulls then do a double suplex on Myers. Myers goes to drop a leg on Pitbull too, but he moves out of the way. Myers gets dumped to the outside and Jason the Terrible clotheslines him. Myers and Pitbull, uh, Pitbull 1 do a double clothesline. Jason the Terrible gets tagged in. He moves straight for Myers, hitting a crisp spinning back kick. The Pitbulls run off the Dragons and the three-on-one assault starts. The Pitbulls splash Jason onto Myers for the win. Jason does a post-match interview telling Jason the Terrible to go to the back. He did well. He said that the Pitbulls will be in line for the tag titles. While this is going on, back in the ring, Myers is laying waste to the two Dragons before grabbing a chair and going after the Pitbulls. And then, and then Jason. Jason punches Myers, but Myers pops back up with Jason celebrating and drives his head into the canvas from the top rope. The Virgin Princess Angel comes out, slaps Myers. Myers then knocks her to the ground. She likes it, then kisses him. Myers responds by Pyle driving out. Uh, we'll, we'll come to the post-match in a bit. Chris, what do you think of the match? I don't understand why they've got Jason Voorhees as a as a wrestler. It, it confused me on, on why we're, we're having that sort of a gimmick. It's not Halloween. Um, but I did like the, the finish. I did like the way of the, the double flapjack. I thought that was really good. The Pitbulls look like absolute beasts. And I think these two could go far with sort of looking at it. I think them for them with uh, the public enemy I think you could get a good hard hitting match out of those two together yeah to, to, to fill in briefly the, the Jason the terrible thing what I believe was that they had uh, you know he was over with a representative from Japan and they're talking about I think talent exchanges and things like that um, and so obviously ECW show we've got to put him on there somewhere so that's why he was he was in this position uh, Dale what do you think I was actually pretty surprised that Big Jason, the 
Jason the Terrible. I can add like to refer to them as Jason the Beauty and Jason the Beast in this one, Bob. Well said. Um, after all, he is the world's sexiest man. Um, and I mean, it's, he's a bit of a surprise in entity. You see this big guy coming in and I mean, it's, it's no mean feat to look big and impressive when you're standing next to the pit bulls and he still stood out. But then the first thing you see him do when he gets into the match is a standing spinning heel kick. Mm. So it's like fair play to him for getting the, the guy in. I mean, the story with the young dragons was maybe a bit underplayed, but it had a good story to it. And as I say, anything with Jason in it for me these days is just, just beautiful to watch and every meaning of the word. The, the pre-match promo was phenomenal. Um, it's just, he's got that character so down. Um, we spoke the, about it last month with Jarrett, Bob. I mean, there's, there's these guys in the, in the industry at the minute that you just can't like, but you just love them a bits for just committing to the characters that they're playing. And is it Jason just makes any match that he's involved in. Oh, it was great because I mean, he, he sets up Joey Styles like he's about to say something really important and then just asks Joey how he likes his suit. Set. <laughs> Brilliant timing. The match itself was, was fine. Um, it was more kind of a story rather than a match that was trying to be unnecessarily all yeah. that entertaining. Um, Chris, your, your thoughts on the post-match angle? It was difficult to kind of comprehend really. Yeah, um, I, I didn't really get why they had to sort of beat up the woman and give well, her a pile driver. Well, I don't know whether you know much about the Virgin Princess Angel, but even someone who's kind of seen it from the debut through to now, from the last couple of months, I'm not really any the wiser. It it doesn't doesn't really sort of make sense on why why you're beating her up and sort of why she likes it just to come back for some more. Um, Maybe that's what she's into. She she likes to a bit of BDSM is all like a big of. Um, I did like the fact that Myers went after Jason though and give him a hide, and I thought that was quite funny that he he got his own back on him and gave him a good kick in. Yeah, well, a, a, any good heel manager should ultimately take a lot of kickings. Uh, Dal, thoughts on post match? Yeah, I mean the the Phil Angel hang. I'm I'm really in agreement with you, Bob. But it's like. I don't really understand what she is. Um, well, obviously she is a virgin and she is a princess, but... Well, no, it isn't the implication that she's neither. Isn't that the joke? Oh, certainly not, Bob. She's a, she's an upstanding member of the community. Just look right. at her. Well, um, wearing a wedding dress and cowboy boots. Maybe that just sums me up more than, right. more than anything else. But this um, is a but... very weird couple of minutes of this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really understand where it went, but see, the story itself is good. Hack Myers, you can... He's just so over with the crowd in that arena, and it done a job. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the post-match thing, my favourite part was kind of right at the start, where you got like um, you got Jason Knight cutting a promo, sends away Jason the Terrible, and just in the ring you've got Myers laying waste to the young dragon. That made <laughs> a lot of sense, that did. Uh, anyway, we move on to Steve Richards with Raven versus Tommy Dreamer. Uh, Dreamer comes out and he's ditched the braces and the trousers, and instead wearing a sleeveless T-shirt and trunks. Joey Styles says he's been in Japan this month. Fan chants of Steven sucks and you suck are heard as the match begins. The action quickly spills to the outside. Richards whips Dreamer into the guardrail, then nails him with a chair. The crowd chant, you still suck at Richards. Richards rips off Dreamer's shirt and then puts it on himself. Back in the ring, Dreamer nails Richards with a clothesline, gets his shirt back, then uses the shirt to hit a running neckbreaker. Back on the outside, a fan holds out a chair and Dreamer drives Richards head into it. The frying pan reappears and Richards eats that. Dreamer then nails Richards in the groin with the frying pan. 
which has rallied and hits a lovely back body drop on Dreamer. Dreamer nails a lovely running DDT, then hits a side suplex while going to the top and hitting a splash. Dreamer goes for a pin, but appears to pull out as Raymond uh, climbs up to the apron. Dreamer returns to the top rope, but Richards jumps up and crotches him. Dreamer then hits a cross body, but Richards kicks out. Raven comes into the ring and holds Dreamer up so Steve can nail his super kick. Richards goes for a second super kick, but Dreamer drops to the mat, pokes him in the bollocks, and gets a quick pin for the win. Del, what do you think? I was actually a bit disappointed. We've seen... I've really got a lot of faith in this Raven character. What I've seen of him, apart from that, you know, an Okia's debut that he had last last month, I'm really intrigued by him. And I think the the rivalry with Tom and Streamer has certainly got legs when you look at it as like the kind of pretty boy and the outsider. And I think they've really got a, a good programme that they could get their teeth into. But Steve Richards is... I don't know, he's got potential I mean he's got a lovely super kick as we spoke about last month but putting that aside there isn't really a lot more there um, I think Dreamer, Dreamer actually looked in really good condition this month but I think it's it's almost as if it's come back to when he first came in and it was playing up to that pretty boy pretty boy stuff where he's got the shirt off now, he's got the trunks on instead of the trousers and I don't know whether they're maybe doing that in the the promise of the set up with the Raven where they want to kind of play him up as that kind of that high school footballer that gets all the girls and Raven's just looking at him through the shadows but uh, again it was a bit of a slow start to the show overall with the first match and then this one it's it's not kind of summing up ECW for what we know it can be but it, again it, it's maybe just there to set up the, the Raven feud in the future I think yeah, I mean, yeah, probably the only thing I can say for Richards is, is that I think the character in part is designed to be a little bit bad and a little bit awkward. Mm. And so it's quite difficult to distinguish whether Richards is a really good actor or he's just not that good. But I think well, he's, he's good he's, at being bad or bad yeah. at being good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but either way, I think it, it just about works, although we'll, we'll come to that more later in the month. The match itself wasn't really much to write home about. The neck breaker with the shirt was quite good. Um, and yeah, just uh, another kind of, uh, was it? No. No, there's, there's sorry, there's, there's a second kind of finish with a, a guy getting pulled out of the ring. That was in the next match, not the previous one. Uh, Chris, what do you think? I liked it. There was a good use of weapons and a novel finish with, with a nutshot. And Fang's bringing, bringing stuff to the ring makes it look like a really fun night out. That's the one thing I got out of this match. It looks like this sort of thing you want to do on a Saturday night after a few beers. Is what, just t- watch, take a frying pan and a... Go and, go and watch <laughs> ECW. Just grab something from the kitchen. You know, that, that saucepan that's slightly battered and with a burnt bit of macaroni and cheese at the bottom won't just come off. Take just turn up at the arena, the queue's a bit long, I'll just get in the road to Home Depot, see what I can get, and then hopefully I'll get my moment in the spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it seems like fun. Though, Raven looks an interesting character. I'd, I'd like to see more of him and see where they're going with Raven. I, th- the- I, th- I think I'll save my discussion on Raven for, for when we get to the TV review and how that kind of develops... Um, but no, I, I didn't think this match was okay. But as I say, it, it wasn't anything more than that. Uh, after post-match, Raven has the opportunity to square off with Dreamer, but declines. He's quite unquote being held back, but really he's kind of just not really advancing towards Dreamer. Dreamer grabs the Reich and tells Raven to kiss his ass and go back to the WWF, and then leads crowds in ECW chants. Up next.
Whiprax. It's Mikey Whiprack versus the giant Paul Warrior with uh, with Jason. This is Jason Knight. We don't see the terrible for the rest of the show. Uh, the match begins with a brawl on the outside. Mikey throws Laurier into the crowd and the fans throw him back. Laurier goes for a baseball slide, but his legs get caught in the ropes and Mikey crotches him. Mikey hits a crossbody, but Laurier kicks out. Mikey hits a sunset flip before doing an atomic drop, which bumps Laurier into Jason on the apron. Mikey goes to the apron himself, then vaults into the ring for a head scissors. Quite awkward, but that, that was part of the story they were trying to tell. And Laurier falls to the outside. Mikey goes to a tope over the rope, but Laurier moves and Mikey slaps hard onto the concrete, and that made a noise. Um, with Laurier distracting the ref, Jason kicks Mikey in the face, then dumps him onto a table. Mikey then locks in a unique back submission before hitting a double underhook suplex. Laurier then low blows him. Laurier climbs to the top, but Mikey crotches him. Mikey then hits Laurier with a bulldog from the top, but Jason pulls him off the pin. Mikey follows Jason on the outside, falls him with a punch. Mikey bridges out of a pin before backsliding Laurier for the three count, and the fans chant, Mikey, Mikey. Chris, what do you think? I thought this was quite a good bit of wrestling between two smaller guys. Uh, these, these two would never be get anywhere near WWF and uh, WCW, but it shows that you don't have to be from the land of the giants to be a good worker. Um, there was good chain wrestling between the two of them. It dragged a little bit near the end, but sort of all in all, I thought it was a really good match. Bill? Can I compare it to last month's match between these two and Hardcore TV, Bob? But we've seen a, it was a bit of a disappointing follow-up, but the story between the two of them is really good. I mean, you can see the evolution of Mikey as a character. Paul Laurie, I've been billed as the giant, just never fails to make me smile. Um, again, you've got Jason involved doing that, that lovable rogue that he does so well. Yeah, maybe a bit of a disappointing end to the, end to the match, but as Chris says, I mean, it's two young guys that sit there. We all know the story about Mikey, where he was pretty much just a ring, a ring boy and kind of get spotted as, can I get looked at for doing these spots in the ring? It's maybe get some here. And I mean, look at the last year that he's had. They've certainly made the the most of it. But I say these two guys, they can tell a decent, tell a decent story. I like watching it. But as I say again, it's just a bit of kind of uh, a bit of kind of a, a, almost a, a non-match. But it's just it's it's nice, but nothing special. Yeah, positives and negatives from this one. Um, positives were that they're you know with kind of the thing like with the head scissors as awkward as it kind of looked it was the idea was we're going to try and kind of evolve the Mikey character which is a big positive um the match was okay again this is the kind of match that I'd have rather not had the stuff really on the outside and I suppose with the match before as well so early in the card this was the kind of match I probably would more have kept the stuff in the ring so that we could have probably aided the stuff later in the show standing out a fraction more um, and negatives as well, Mikey doing a, sl- a tope, and we didn't really see it again, but he, he landed hard on mm. that concrete floor, and that's, that's the kind of spot I don't want a young guy like that doing, um, particularly one so experienced, and particularly on a concrete floor with no mats. Um, and again, the other thing was, was that the second match in a row that had someone going for a clean pin, in both occasions, the, the guy that went for the clean pin ended up winning, but, after and when they kind of hit their big move they got pulled out of the ring only to then win in a slightly more indecisive way um but yeah positives and negatives for me i I like how they're developing mikey you know the 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 ending sequence with 
Um, with Laurier goes for a pit and Mikey bridges out of it and then does a backslide was was very nice. Um, so yeah, I'd say uh, de- decent stuff. I think I think you're right, Dad. It probably wasn't quite as good as their their match that we reviewed in January. We move on. It's Axel Rotten versus Ian Rotten. This match starts as a pace. Axel runs out and drives Ian into three guardrails while hitting him with a sign and a steel chair. They brawl into the bleachers with Axel opening up a wound on Ian's forehead, which is spilling blood already. Ian gets a respite, low-blowing Axel, before, before hitting him with a chair. Axel hits Ian with a frying pan and works on the forehead again. Axel grabs the timekeeper's hammer, working on the forehead and dinging it into Ian's arm. Axel attacks Ian with a chair. Ian begs for mercy. Axel beats on Ian, but Ian then uses the ropes to grab what is well, really a shock victory in terms of how the match played down. And after the match, the Axel beatdown continues using a chair and the guardrail again. Dale, what do you think? I've really liked the story, Bob. We've seen it um, again going back to last month. The wrestling was just brilliant on ECW TV in January. That end of the match was brilliant with the pit bulls. The stories there with the two of them being brothers. They've got that rivalry. They've kind of had the first all-out walking brawl of the walking brawl of the night. And as you say, it maybe could have been helped out a little bit if it was Mikey and Paul Laurie have been more ropes, inside the ropes kind of in the previous match would have helped this one out a good bit, but it's a good story that's what the ECW crowd are into, they've got that break up and the bad blood between the brothers that's there, it was it was definitely a match of the night so far for me Chris? It was brutal, it, it was everything that you expect from this famed ECW hardcore style, it was just beating the living tar out of each other for the whole of the match. Um, and then with a sneaky wrestling move finish. It, it was That was a novel ending to have an actual wrestling move finish it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether I liked it, though. Um, I mean, this isn't the kind of match I particularly enjoy. That's not to say it was a bad match in the sense that they told quite a... Uh, quite a, not a unique story, but quite a kind of focused story in that it was a brawl and obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're brothers and all of that. So, you know, that was the story they were going to tell and they told quite a good story. The fact that I didn't particularly enjoy it is kind of another by the by. Um, but I, I, I did kind of like what they put together. I liked how the match went, but I, this is the kind of match that I, like, given the beatdown Ian took, I would have almost Axel kind of walk off. Like, just beat him down so badly that Ian can't get back up. Now, okay, that's quite a decisive way of ending it, but I think there's a way of extending that story. I didn't like having kind of the one long beat down and then Ian using the ropes to have a, a kind of a shock victory on the end. It, it, it didn't work for me in that regard. But, you know, as, as a match go, it fit the story and, and more importantly, as we'll come on to in a minute, I think it also, um, it also helped kind of calm the crowd down and, and provide a very nice contrast to what we're about to review next. We move on to the crippler, Chris Benoit versus the snowman, Al Snow. We start with some scientific wrestling. Benoit working the arm before Snow flips out. Benoit does a farm and carry. The crowd sound their appreciation. Then engage in a test of strength. Benoit bridges on his neck, then flips over into a pin attempt. They exchange pin attempts and then square off. Benoit does a kip up and Snow hits a super kick. Benoit hits a pair of loud knife edge chops in the corner. Snow does a Ric Flair flip over the top rope. Benoit clotheslines him to the outside and does a baseball slide. Snow pops up, up, hits a springboard drop kick with Benoit's back turned to face the hard camera. A fantastic prop with the crowd sounding their appreciation. Snow goes for a drop kick from the top but misses. Benoit hits a German suplex but Snow kicks out. 
Benoit hits a lovely high angle suplex, then goes for a second, but Snow counters into a crossbody. Benoit shouts, is this the best the United States has to offer? Benoit goes for a diving headbutt from the top rope, gets some great air, but Snow kicks out. Benoit hits a powerbomb, Snow kicks out again. Benoit turns to the crowd and points at his bicep, then hits another German suplex, but Snow barely kicks out. Snow slithers out of a pin attempt and grabs Benoit by the legs and hits a German suplex of sorts, then hits an actual German suplex, letting go of Benoit mid-move. So then hits a, a back body drop, then a super kick, but Benoit stays in it. Benoit hits a final German suplex and Snow cannot kick out. At the end of the match, Benoit celebrates and Snow does a stretch, stretcher job. But quick bit of information here is that Al Snow, I believe, has signed with Smoky Mountain Wrestling on a on a slab, on the basis of having more dates. So the stretcher job was kind of designed to write him out. Um, Del, which is a bit of a shame because this match was great. It was, it was absolutely beautiful, Bob. If I'm brutally honest with you, it was just a lot of people that like we've got Chris here joining us too for the first time in the the show turning it into a three man booth, and I think anybody that kind of comes in ECW with it, having seen it, they've maybe just heard the the jungle drums talking about this kind of little promotion in the in the northeast about all these blood and guts and the frying pans and the the kind of the Singapore canes. It's just the the most refreshing change you can get is just two guys going out having a match. I mean, I think the the two of them's late twenties, early thirties at this point. I mean, they, they've literally got a lifetime left in this business, and the match itself was just clinical. I mean, something that's even a bit underused in wrestling these days is even just between moves, stopping. Just not wasting any movement. There's not a, there's no need to just be constantly moving. It's, it just really helps suspend that disbelief and just watching that match for, for what it was. And it was just a work of art for me, Bob. Chris. As I said in the, in the news bit that this was an amazing match. Um, it was, it was snug. It was hard hitting every single move meant something there was no sort of wasted time um it it was just great and i can see big things for both these guys going forward if this is the level that they work to then i would expect them to to continue on and only see better things obviously with as you're saying snow's leaving um if he's going to smoky mountain maybe you know, their affiliation with the WWF, he may get pulled up to the big time sooner. Oh, not with the name Al Snow. Oh, well, I, I, I fear for that gimmick. No man. And, you know, WWF's love of Characters. cartoony names. I fear for it. I, I don't know. It'd be great if he's in there and, and you know, certainly they, they don't need another one, two, three kid, but. Yeah, oh, I worry. Who wants to put money on him coming out at the next WWF pay-per-view with a Saint Bernard and a pair of skis? Yeah, uh, like out of an igloo, and <laughs> like the new Gobbledygooker. Yeah, oh, I hope not. This eighteen months doing this project, probably my favourite match so far, and not necessarily to say the best. Um, but even, like, particularly a style of wrestling that, you know, this kind of scientific chain wrestling, whatever you it's want to call it. It's not your bag, has it, Bob? No, generally not, because often there's a lot of what I would call, like, wasted movements and kind of people setting up, like, surfboard stretches and things like that that kind of take a while and they don't really look like 
part of a fight, not, you know, also, you know, if you want to be critical, I, I, I criticised the previous match or said I didn't like it, even though that was probably more of a fight than this ever was. But there was no wasted movements of this match. It was so fast. The bit where, where Benoit does the kind of baseball slide and knocks Snow down the outside, turns round to face the opposite way towards the hard camera. Snow pops back up, jumps onto the top rope on kind of level with the apron and does a drop kick with Benoit's back turn. It's a phenomenal spot. And the crowd yeah. kind of just, exploded when that happened because it was such because it was just so quick everything happened so fast um and i I generally hope i did that match justice with the match review go ahead and find it it does appear on the february uh 7th i think edition of hardcore tv first first february um tv of the month in full um and so yeah go ahead go out of your way to find this match i think you will be very 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 happy with what you see anyway we move on to the ECW World Title Match: Shane Douglas versus Tully Blanchard. Tully offers a handshake, but Shane declines. Tully attacks him, then hits a, a slingshot suplex, but Douglas kicks out. Tully hits a lovely pile driver. The referee counts three, but immediately spots Douglas's foot on the rope. The action spills to the outside with Douglas in control. He suplexes Blanchard onto a table, but it doesn't break. Douglas drops an elbow from the apron. Blanchard regains control, dropping an elbow onto the back of Douglas's head. Douglas then clotheslines Tully to the outside. Douglas doesn't get a lot of it and goes flying over the top rope. Douglas counters a back suplex and Blanchard barely kicks out in time. Blanchard snaps Douglas's neck on the guardrail. Tully goes for a suplex but Douglas, uh, with Douglas on the apron. But Douglas counters into a crossbody and gets the cover for the pin. Chris, what do you think? I was surprised that Tully was still at a level that he was at. Because obviously I, I see a lot of him for the 80s stuff um knowing how good he is there, to think that he's not been about for a good three or four years, that he could still do a good match. Um, I think you could tell by the by the length of time it was, it was clearly sort of the limit of what he could do. Douglas... Well, we say that they went 43 minutes last month. Now, admittedly, that wasn't very good, but um, yeah... Yeah, Douglas looked really good. I'm I'm impressed with Shane Douglas. I've, he's one of those that I could see definitely see big things coming for him. Um, and it was a really sort of solid match with no there was no need for any sort of outside weaponry or anything. And it once again shows that you can use real wrestling in this show. Del, yeah, as I touched on at the, the start, Bob, I think this match was. Kind of a bit of a prisoner itself. I think they could have certainly broke. I mean, having this right after Benoit Snow, two guys not even reached their peak yet and already in phenomenal shape and phenomenal match styles. This one kind of disappointed, but certainly looking back to January, as you said, it was much better than, than what we're led to believe that was. Um, Douglas, as Chris says, is he really has just he lives up to the name, the franchise. I mean, we really just want to see him moving out from a big fish in a small pond out into maybe one of the nationals and seeing what he can do. He's already showed what he can do through 94. He's just a bit of an enigma at this point where he can, as we spoke about at the start with that half an hour of promo that he does later in the month that we'll go on to talk about, he can have matches that's as good as anybody in the, anybody in the card, anybody in the business. But this Ric Flair feud is kind of dragging him down a little bit, and especially when you're getting in the substitutes to, like, say, a Tully, and there was rumours of Barry Windham and things coming in. 
we really just want to see Shane Douglas at the peakies, at the peakies powers, highlighting the, the moves that he can do, the promos that he can cut, getting him in the top of the card. But again, it's just kind of maybe one step forward and two back for him at the minute. And again, the match done its, done its job, but I think it was just a bit of a suffering when the, where it was placed in the card for me. Yeah, I wasn't all that hard on this. Um, yeah, you know, not that, not that my kind of appreciation for Douglas is largely based on his in-ring work. It's more kind of the stuff he does outside of the ring. Um, but I didn't think this match was all that good. I didn't particularly buy Tully as a particularly convincing challenger. Um, even though they, 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 they did an okay job kind of tying in the, 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 the Tully thing with, with the flair stuff Douglas is doing and, and unfortunately, Douglas is still talking about Flair. We're going to get that um, later on uh, when we get to the TV review. Yeah, this this match didn't do a lot for me. I mean, Douglas isn't, isn't a great wrestler. Um, and, and, yeah, the match was fine. But I, I agree with Dell. I think this match would have been better moving forward one and being the bridge between uh, the Texas Death match up next and then the main event. Um, but, no, not, not one that I'm going to write home about. And, Chris, I'm... I look at this show and I think there's about six or seven guys on this card I'd rather Douglas wrestle for the title. Like, I, I get it to a point in that they want to kind of build their own stars without having the pressure of putting them up against Douglas. That makes sense. And I get the fact that they want to give Douglas kind of opponents with credibility to build the title. And yet I'm sat here thinking I'd rather watch Douglas Benoit or Douglas Cactus Jack or Sabu, Douglas Sabu, Taz... Yeah. Taz um, yeah. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I see exactly what you're saying, that if, if you give some of the guys that clearly have the potential that are there, the, the showcase to do it, you probably get some awesome matches out of it. Um, it's obviously with this thing that's going on of Douglas and his hate for Flair, Having one of Flair's mates in makes sense. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with that. It just it's it's just not very good. I don't think I don't I I, I don't know whether I maybe it's just I, I but to, to me Tully you know even though Chris as you say he he looks quite athletic for a guy who's like half bald and half quite long hair he doesn't look like the guy who would be a world champion and that that was probably part of my problem with this was that i just didn't buy it i didn't i didn't look at blanchard and think yeah there's a challenger it, it, in a way that i probably would have more so with ron simmons but not to a huge degree but more so um uh, uh, and douglas does face marty Jannetty later in the month not the not that we've seen that yet um, but yeah, uh, I, I, Dell, Dell, any more on that? Yeah, I think we've summed it up, Bob. Right, move on to the Texas Deathmatch. Cactus Jack versus the Sandman with Woman. Jack blindsides Sandman while he's walking out and attacks him with a chair at ringside, then in the ring. He strikes him three times with a chair, then drops a leg. Jack pins him, but Sandman gets up for the ten count. Don't forget, this is a Texas Deathmatch, so pinfalls do count, but they don't end the match you've then got 10 sec a 10 count to get to your feet jack lays him out again pins him again but sandman gets back to his feet again jack punches sandman through the middle rope who dangles precariously face down with his feet trapped in the ropes they brawl on the outside sandman shoving jack into the guardrail cactus jack goes to drop a leg on the outside but misses jack charges sandman who's up against the guardrail but sandman moves and jack lands on his knee they work back into the ring and Sandman works over Jack's knee more, di- driving it into a steel chair. Woman then hits the knee with a cane. 
Jack pounces on a dazed Salmon, but Salmon hits a back body drop, Cactus landing hard on the chair. Jack hits Salmon with a DDT onto the chair, but Salmon kicks out. Salmon then hits a pile driver onto Jack onto the chair. He pins him, but pulls up at two. Salmon then pins Jack, but who gets up before ten. Jack grabs a Singapore cane uh, and hits him over the head multiple times. Jack then drops a chair to Salmon on the outside, but he kicks out. He then drops an elbow on the outside, and Salmon gets up. Jack hits a TDT, pins Salmon, and Salmon gets up. Jack hits a second DDT, this one much more pronounced than the first one, but Salman sits up. Jack hits a third DDT, and Salman finally stays down. Chris, what do you think? This was brutal, again. This was some seriously hard-hitting violence between the two of them, and it, it's everything that I'd like to see in ECW. Again, it's the same as I was saying with the, uh, Ian and Axel. Um just seeing these two just absolutely levering each other to the point where <laughs> where one of them can't get back up. I, f- I think, obviously we find out through the TV review that clearly there, there's some issues with some of the headshots that uh, Sandman was taking, um, that he did get a bit of a concussion there, which is obviously a worrying thing if, you know, you're, Putting people in that level of risk. Well, I, I, well, we'll come to that. I, that may have been an angle. I mean, that may have just been a setup for for what they had planned on on the next taping. I don't know, um, but I, ha- I say how I read any reports suggest that the, the concussion was necessarily legitimate. Um, but yeah, either way, you are right. He he did he did suffer a, a fair number of chair shots to the head, and him having a concussion certainly is not implausible. But I should point that out. But yeah, no, it. it... It makes both of them look even harder than they did going coming into the match. They look better coming out and definitely more more extreme. Del. It's kind of the good thing that you see about ECW, Bob, as Chris says there, especially after that that rebirth, the extreme cactus, we know what he can do. The Sandman's just... I, I don't know what they pay that man, but it's not enough, I don't think, for the wars that he's been in in the last several months. Um, again, I think the stipulation was maybe a bit of a, not maybe a disappointment, but it kind of just stopped the, the flow of the match. I mean, what I was reminded of, kind of seeing the match unfold, it kind of reminded me of Macho Man and Crush last year at WrestleMania with that. Um, falls count anywhere, but then you've got to get back into the ring. The multiple pinfall attempts that you see in it kind of just stutters its way through the the match. It's like an engine running in second gear. It just can't quite can't quite get to where it where it wants to go. But the two guys in it, I mean, they're as hard hitting as you're going to get. I mean, Cactus Jack up against the Sandman, it kind of makes Cactus look like a Chris Benoit and Al Snow which is pretty rare that you see it. But it's hard-hitting matches go, it's up there. And I think, again, it was just a bit of a, a, bit of a disappointment in the, the card that was here where it's up against so other, so other much brawls where it's kind of hard to stand out like the, the Benoit Snow match did earlier on. But as Chris says, if you're tuning in for hardcore violence that you're expecting VCW, these two knocked it out of the park. 
Yeah, I, I liked a lot of things about this match. I disliked a few things about it that, that I'll address first. Firstly, that, that great Cactus Jack Brower from the end of last month said he wanted a match where pinfalls didn't matter. Well, it didn't matter. Why were there seven of them in this match? I, I, didn't, I didn't quite understand that. Um, obviously, it's a Texas death match. I understand that part. But I, I, I think we, we covered... Uh, no, October 93, we would have reviewed, uh, Halloween Havoc with Vader and, and, and Jack, uh, in the Texas Deathmatch there. And I didn't like the stipulation there. And I didn't like the stipulation here. I mean, it, it just, just a bit clunky in terms of, particularly the, the, the finish at the end with kind of the trio of DDTs onto the concrete. I think I'd have just ended it with the first one. Um, in the really the DDT move onto the exposed concrete should be enough the first time. Quite how two didn't work, but the third one did doesn't really put over the move all that well. Um, but all of that aside, this was really good. Um, both guys worked bloody hard. Um, both guys beat the living crap out of each other, which is what they should do in a match like this and what they should do given the feud that's gone before it. And this match made a lot of sense. It wasn't, it wasn't always great to watch, but it, you know, uh, again, for me, it comes back to the fact that this match stands out more if Axel and Ian Rotten don't have their war an hour before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and that kind of thing. So yeah, a few negatives, but largely positive and, a, and a, a very, very entertaining match, I think, on the whole. If you can look past the, perhaps the slight issue when it comes to, um, the Texas Death Match format. According to the rules and regulations of the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission, when a wrestler or boxer suffers a severe brain concussion, he must automatically be placed on the 21 day disabled list. And this changes things now for the originally slated rematch between the Sandman and Cactus Jack Saturday night, February 25th, right back at the ECW Arena. And at this time, I'd like to bring in the man who suffered that severe brain concussion, the Sandman. And Sandman, how are you feeling? How do I feel? How do I look? I'm the picture of <laughs> you saw what I did to Cactus Jack. That match was a couple of weeks ago. He's probably still got the ice pack strapped onto his shoulders, strapped onto his ribs right now. You see, because all you people are going to remember that Cactus Jack got his hand raised. One, two, three. Oh, that was great. Did you ever think I cared about winning a match? I measure wins and losses by pints of blood, by broken bones, by ice packs that you need just to get to sleep at night. Cactus Jack, you had your events. Texas Deathmatch, Philadelphia, ECW Arena. You, you burnt chairs on my head. You DDT'd me on the floor. You've given me a serious brain concussion. Well, what you thought was going to be to your benefit, Cactus Jack, is going to be one of the biggest miscalculations in your career. Because I know you're getting ready to ask. I know you want to know what woman's doing right now. Right this very minute, woman is drying the ink on a contract for a wrestler to wrestle you the 25th Saturday night ECW Arena Cactus Jack. Right now, at this minute, the contract has been signed. There will be somebody to fulfill our obligation at the ECW Arena February 25th. Let me get this straight. You're going to be there. You can't wrestle, though. But woman is signing somebody else to face, to face oh, Cactus Jack. Oh, you better believe. And he won't know who it is until that night? 
I can't wrestle, but I will be there at ringside practice, Jack, to see our new man do to you what you tried to do to me, Cactus Jack. How's it going to feel not knowing who you're going to get into the ring with until you step into that squared circle and you look that man in the eye? How's it going to feel? I know you're not going to feel as good as I do. I don't have that ringing in my ears anymore. I don't, I don't see those visions. That thumping's gone. I've had enough of you, Todd Pettyon. And we move on to the main event. It's the ECW Tag Team titles on the line in a double tables match. The show brings the name. Uh, to quickly introduce you to the double tables format, uh, it's like a, it's like a tag team tables match, but to win the match, you've got to put both of your opponents each individually through a table. Uh, so we start and Sabu and Taz storm the ring, get the match goes off to a very pa- fast start. Taz hits a German suplex and Grunge works over Sabu on the outside. Taz, Taz powerbombs rock. Sabu sits Grunge on a seat, then bounces off the opposite ropes and hits a suicide plancher, flattening Grunge. Sabu and Grunge then fight into the beaches. Fight into the beaches, sorry. Back in the ring, Grunge nails Sabu with a frying pan. Taz hits a belly-to-belly suplex on Rocco Rock. Sabu sets up a chair and vaults off it, crashing into Grunge into the corner. Tables set up in opposite corners, or near opposite corners. Taz rams uh, Rock's throat uh, off a table leg. The crowd gasps. Sabu puts Grunge on the table, then grabs a chair, unfolds it, places it on top of the turnbuckle, then flies off it, breaking the table as Grunge rolls out of the way. That didn't count. Uh, he, he kind of broke the table by landing on it. He didn't go through it. Uh, Taz then Taz plexes Sabu onto Rocco Rock. The public enemy drives Sabu and Taz into a table, head first into the corner, but it doesn't break. Sabu drives Rocco's head through a table, but that didn't count as a fall. Grunge sets for a moonsault, but Taz gets up and slams Grunge and himself through the table. They counted that as a full each. Rocco has Sabu on a table, moonsault Sabu through the table, but neither the referee in the ring or the referee on the outside of the ring were, were watching, so that didn't count. Rocco Rock rings the bell himself. Grunge chokes out poorly dangerously. Taz holds Rocco Rock on the table. Sabu drops a leg through the table on the outside, and we have new ECW Tag team champions. Chris, what do you think? Up until the the false finish, I liked it. I liked the fact that both of them sort of split off and were going after each other. Some of the stuff that Sabu does and comes up with, how he thinks of this, I will never know. You know, he how he thinks, oh, I don't know what I'll do. I'll put a chair there. I'll jump off the chair onto the rope and then over the top. All credit to him for for coming up with that stuff. Um, I don't get why they needed to do the 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 baking the table, the refs not seeing it. But if if they're gonna lose, then but I don't get why they need the sympathy spot. Yeah, it's just a bit awkward. I mean, there was a bit where one of the public enemy went through the table and they didn't count it. Then there was a bit where Sa- where Taz effectively put Johnny Grunge through the table. But it was counted as one fall each because Taz went through the table himself while doing the move. That was a bit clunky. Then we've got a referee in the ring and a referee at ringside, neither of which see the fall. And then we end the match. Yeah, Chris, I agree. I don't think in this kind of match it would have been all that big a problem if, if you know, if Sabu and Taz had just won. It was a tables match. Not that they were getting pinned or anything like that. And and in the end, the win was quite decisive anyway. I mean, I know obviously you know they, they won the match earlier on, but it it wasn't really a screwy finish. It, 
odd, I would have said. That, but, Dale, what do you think? It kind of summed up the positives and negatives ECW for me, Bob. Um, the the tag team division that they've got going at the minute, you've got the enemy there. We've already lost the bad breed, but if anything, this month it looks even stronger with the likes of Sabu and the Tasmaniac. You've then got, as we talked about in the news, the the TV switch over to Benoit and Malenko. I mean, it's, it's three solid, solid tag teams. But again, with the booking... It just didn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, I think had it had a, a decisive finish with the, that that spot with with the public enemy quote unquote winning, we would probably be talking about the the Taz um, the Taz spot going through the table. Why was he counted as going through the the table as well when he's clearly in the the offensive at that point? But then having the two refs, one in the ring, one outside the ring. It was almost like the the pretty wonderful and Cactus and Kevin Sullivan match for last year in WCW where if you've got two referees, you can't really book yourself into a position where you're having a blind spot. It just doesn't really work. And as you say, it, it wouldn't have taken anything away for the the enemy in the match anyway, with it being that it's not a it's not a pinfall or a submission that's ended the the match. It's just a, an all out brawl ending in carnage which is what the enemy's there for. They lost it last year in the same kind of circumstances. They won it back and they came back stronger than ever. Just a, a bit of a disappointing end for the, the finish for me. I get the sense, watching this live, this would have been quite a confusing match, given that there was about four or five table yep. breaks. Um, I don't know, obviously, because we're watching with the benefit of Joe Styles' commentary, who can kind of fill in the gaps and patch over anything that doesn't, maybe doesn't quite make sense. Um, and they did do kind of ring announcements at various points. But, uh, Clunky, I, I, I wasn't blown away by this match. I, I get the sense you, you could have, like, rewritten the match completely and produced something far more entertaining and perhaps slightly less convoluted than they did. It wasn't bad. They worked hard. Sabu's doing some crazy shit. We know that. Um, but equally, it, it was one of those matches where they worked hard and it, individually, looking at individual kind of snippets of the match, it was quite good. When you put it all together, it, yeah, there's just a lot of kind of, uh, and again, for, for me, like the, the, the clunky finish, I know you want to protect the public enemy and all that, and, and that makes sense to a point, but I, I think there would have been more creative ways of protecting them that weren't perhaps quite so confusing. Um, but the match wasn't bad, and as I say, I get the sense that if you were there just to enjoy four guys beating the crap out of each other, I think you'd have quite enjoyed this. But I think when you, when you look at it with a bit more of a wrestling hat on, and a bit more of a kind of logical stand, a logical kind of storyline standpoint, it falls down a little bit, but you know, entertaining. Decent enough finish. Sabu's great. Taz looks really good. And the public enemy are good. So yeah, you know, uh, as many positives and negatives for me in this match. But anyway, after the match, 911 comes out and sets up a table. Sabu then sets up a table flat on the top turnbuckle and then puts a chair folded, or un- unfolded, <laughs> sorry, on top of the table on the turnbuckle. 911 lays rock on the table in the ring. Sabu climbs onto the turnbuckle and then with that Chris Benoit runs out as a super bomb off of the table on the turnbuckle to Sabu through the table in the wing with Rocco Rock on it. I hope I did that spot justice. Chris, what did you think? This was something you have to see because you, 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 words don't really 
do it justice. I think, it, I think even if you understand how... exactly how it happened, the speed and kind of the, the, the smoothness of the execution was phenomenal. Because it, it so could have gone so horribly, horribly wrong at, at so many points. But, you know, it, it makes Benoit look even more of a badass than he did just come out of his match. He really does look like the crippler. The fact that he just comes out, no care in the world, picks up Sabu and just slams him through Rocco on a table is. And yes, he, he puts him in a power, a power bomb spot on top of the turnbuckle, on top of the table. I don't think they're on top of the chair, as, as if that takes away from it. And then he kind of like runs off of the table and power bombs Sabu through Rocco Rock and then lands on his feet. Dad, it was perfection. You kind of we've spoken about this over so many ones, Bob. There's these kind of images that the ECW leave you with, whether it's um, Terry Funk and Cactus Jack standing in the ring with the, the pretty much a hundred chairs getting launched, the Dreamer Sandman cane shots with the welts and Tommy's back, and just the set up to this ending was just. It's one of those images where you see it compared to what you're maybe seeing in WWF or WCW. It's like, what is this? This isn't the same thing as what we're seeing in the national TVs. It's, it's just absolutely magnificent to watch and you just really wish that more people were seeing it in a bigger audience. Almost just to justify the bumps that these guys take. It's, it's just something else to behold. Yeah, I, I, I defy, you know, we're about to listen to a, a Benoit promo that closes out the show. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to it as a bridge between the end of the show and, uh, and the start of the TV review. Um, but it's very difficult not to really like Chris Benoit after this month. He looks, he looks phenomenal in terms of his wrestling ability and one, and we'll, well, we'll discuss Benoit later in the show, I suppose. Uh, Chris, uh, your overall thoughts on this and a score rating and kind of score it as, if it was a live show and not kind of on a pay-per-view type scale? As as a, a first viewing of, of a whole ECW event, I really enjoyed it. Um, it had a bit of everything that you want to see from ECW. And so far my match of the year and a very high bar for people to live up to for the rest of the year in the Benoit Snow match... Um, I implore everyone to just go and find that match and watch it. It's it's a thing of beauty. Um, I've given it a 7 out of 10. Del? I'm pretty much in agreement with Chris there, Bob. It's, it's brilliant to see a full live show. Was it flawless? Not at all. But... It's definitely got got some high spots in there that people need to be need to be on their lookout for if they can manage to get a hold of a tape for the show. I mean, it's the the brawls were just what ECW do best. Was it overbooked in that regard? Probably yes, but I mean, I think it's for having that that match in the middle with Ben Wan Snow. I genuinely don't have it. Probably a five or a six overall, but with that match in it, I don't think anybody could rate it less than a seven out of ten overall. Yeah, we have, we have a hat trick of sevens. Um, I mean, in part it's difficult to review because one part of my criticism of this show is of kind of how they ordered the matches and how they paced the show and how it looked one after another. And yet in reality, the show was designed for, you know, about 1100 people in the ECW arena. And then the rest of us are what are going to 
you know, obviously we got hold of the tape, but the rest of people are going to be watching it on hardcore TV. And, you know, they didn't see some matches. They didn't see the main event. They only saw photos of it or still shots anyway. They didn't see the Cactus Jack Sandman match in its entirety. I didn't see Douglas and Blanchard at all. Um, but they did get some of the matches earlier in the card and they did thankfully get to see Benoit and Al Snow. Um, but seven out of ten for, I think, one, that Benoit Al Snow match, which is phenomenal. Like, if, if that doesn't get into the top three matches of this year, we're going to have a bloody good year, um, in terms of some, some peak, really entertaining matches. That was great. Um, some really good individual action, as I say, some, some, some critical stuff and some things that I think they, they should be tighter on. But I, I think I come back to what, what Chris says almost in that if you went to watch the show in person, which is really how we should be reviewing it in part, I bet you had a load of fun. I bet you did. Like, you know, a lot of things with, you know, well, they didn't quite pace it out right, but I think if you were there in the arena, you're in the front row, you get to interact with some of the wrestlers, you, you saw Benoit and Al Snow, which was worth the admission price alone. A good main event, perhaps a bit confusing, convoluted, but, but overall, very worthy of, of 7 out of 10. Sabu, the last two times we faced each other in the ring resulted in ambulance rides to the hospital. Sabu, you're back in the ring. You're back here in the ECW. And people are starting to talk. I don't like what they're saying. They're saying that you're some type of tough guy. They're saying that the crippler is unable to get the job done. Well, Sabu, the only reason you're back is because I want you back. The only reason you're here is because I let you come back. Sabu, on any given night, I could take you out and end your career permanently. Because life is about pain. Life is about humility. And I could see that your tag team partner, the Tasmaniac, is yet to learn the finer lessons in life. Well, Sabu and Tasmaniac, the day will come when both of you will learn what pain is all about. Both of you will learn what humility is all about. And after that first lesson of pain will come the lesson of humility. And that will be the crowning of the new Tag Team Champions here in the ECW. The Shooter, Dean Malenko. And the Crippler, Chris Benoit. And we move on to the ECW TV report for the month. Now, obviously, the TV report did, at least in the first kind of show or two, encapsulate a lot of the stuff we've seen. It also didn't show a few things. It didn't show the title match. Um, and we got some of the main event in, in, in photos. Um, so, basically, I'm just going to overlook stuff that we've already covered. So, it might sound a bit kind of disjointed to begin with, but there's plenty of stuff to cover in the last two shows. So, we jump really straight to the 14th of February. The, the 7th includes uh, the Benoit Al Snow match. If you want to seek that out, do that please. Uh, Joey Styles says that Rocco Rock was taken to hospital after a stretcher job, but the public enemy haven't said anything since, and he thought that was strange. We then get Mike Whitwell versus Paul Laurel, which we've seen. Uh, then Joey's, uh, Joey says that at double table, Salman suffered a concussion. Catch a chat versus Salman match, um, 
actually from January, I think I've got it down here. Uh, anyway, Sandman uh, won't be facing Cactus Jack in the match at the end of the month. He will instead name a mystery opponent for Jack at the next live event. Um, Paul Laurie at the Giant cuts the promo. He says that even compared to 911, he's a giant despite the fact he's two feet shorter. Uh, unsurprisingly, that pulls out 911 uh, and Paul Lee. Uh, Laurier shells Styles, who's in the ring conducting an interview. Uh, Styles shells him back. Uh, into 911 who chokeslams him and again and a third time after the crowd request it we then get to the 21st of february and dell we open with a yep. 30 minute uninterrupted well i not it, i don't know if douglas reeled this 30 minutes off the bat but it wasn't surprising if he did it was the far off at least no no they, yep. they interspersed maybe three or four clips that would have provided quite an awesome nice opportunity for a break but uninterrupted in the sense that they didn't air one single commercial break in the first half hour Dell, talk us through this promo and it's pretty much going to be a play-by-play of a promo bob which is pretty new to the new to the show and then i say i hope we see it again at some point i mean how much did the the ecw hardcore phone line last year almost depend on these kind of shane douglas state of the state of the industry addresses did we see last year, but so we're just going to run through this. We'll probably talk about it to an extent after the after the run through as well, because it was just absolutely mind blowing stuff. As you say, half an hour of Shane Douglas just talking into a microphone, doing what he does, and interspersed with some highlights over the the, the last kind of few months as well. Um, so Shane Douglas is off camera. Basically looking off the the screen, kind of talking just as if it's almost himself, just totally unscripted. He talks about the last 18 months where ECW came from, sitting in the bingo hall, calling themselves the future of wrestling. Are they going to compete with Vince McMahon, with Ted Turner? They're out of their minds. Franchise sat down, watched the first full show. He thought he needs to raise his game, and he was really confident on the sport of professional wrestling, not sports entertainment, as some would like to believe it's called, but the athletic sport of the business. Um, it compares himself in a boxing aspect to Muhammad Ali, past his best. Father time caught up when he had to pass the torch to Tyson. And hockey, you've then got um, Gordy Howe, who passed the torch on to Wayne Gretzky. And in wrestling, Bruno San Martino was the best. Father time caught up with him. And then you've then got the likes of Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, they took the torch on, but time's caught up with them as well. He laughs at Flair, laughs at Hogan, talks about the entertainment side of the business, but ECW is here to transform it. Um, talking of transformations, and then goes on to talk about the former Doink, who he transformed into Mark Bourne, again focusing on his wrestling ability. And it was about survival of the fittest in 1995, which wasn't Hogan, it wasn't Flair, it was Shane Douglas. So first clip of the, the promo that we see, it goes back to the, the triangle match for last year with Terry Funk and Sabu going up against Shane Douglas. Um, Funk was, I'm talking about Funk's legacy, just with Dory Senior, Dory Junior, and Terry wouldn't give up the bell. He's stubborn, he's tough, and when he'd quit WCW and quit the WWF, He's seen it as his reason to get rid of the old men of the business and create a new future. But Funk wouldn't retire. And obviously the battles that they had last year and also a clip of the press conference after it where Funk offered Douglas to take the belt from him because he would get it back. So again, we go back to the win of the title. Um, Douglas then talks about WCW and WWF requiring surgery 
at this point because they were on life support. He talks about w, um, ECW when he took on the best that there was to to offer. He took on Hawk of the Road Warriors, Pat Tanaka, Terry Funk, Sabu. Again, shows highlights of these matches that he had throughout the year. And then we jump into the NWA title stuff in August, which we had covered in the covered in the show in depth back last year. But just to give a brief summary. Basically, the Shane Douglas seen the NWA as jumping on the franchise bandwagon. He wanted to, they wanted to get back to the greatness that they once had. Douglas builds up the talent that was at the tournament for the US, for Canada, Japan, Mexico, and it shows the title win. He then goes on to talk about the post-match promo. Um, which lists off the, the former champion saying they can all kiss his ass. And he heralds himself as the ECW champion. So again, he sees he's got a chance to prove himself to the world as being the real franchise and carrying the entire industry on his back. Something that he claims the likes of Bruno, Flair, Hogan, Funk, no one else could have done that and no one else did. And he's growing day by day. Doesn't like the WWF. The fans don't like the WWF, calls WCW a fiasco, says if they ran the, the industry then everybody would be on the unemployment line tomorrow. And again, he looks back at things that he despised. Again, talking about Doink, Matt Bourne, ripping off that mask and making him into a wrestler. Talks about ECW being the present and the future of the the industry, about the Danucci training with Mick Foley, they were well-travelled. They weren't in it for the fame. They were in it for the sport of professional wrestling. At this point, he then looks to the camera, and I think we all know what's coming. Um, he was talking about never getting a chance in WCW to be the next Bruno San Martino, pretty much because of Rick or Dick Flair. Um, Flair then took the, the Booker's pencil, tried to erase franchise with the eraser on the end of it, and he was put into cut and jerking matches. He should have been headlining. But the big question that everyone's asking... The dirt sheets, the magazines, he says, does Shane Douglas hate Ric Flair? He can't look Ric Flair in the eyes because he says he's too afraid to face him, but he hates his guts, hates everything that he stands for, and he hates what he's done to this sport. He took the dead horse of the, the wrestling industry from Ric Flair. It's been a hard job, but could Shane Douglas have beaten Ric Flair in his prime? Absolutely, and Flair could never have touched him. He warns Flair to stay retired because the sport belongs to him. Again, we got another flashback from last month, just the end of the Tully Blanchard match. He says critics have slated him as a mid-carder, a dynamic dude. They hid uh, behind Sherry Martell and Mr Hughes. He was just Ricky Steamboat's tag team partner, but he is the future of the industry. And he then, as all good, as all good wrestling promos do, Bob, they build their match at the end of the end of the promo, builds up Marty Gennetti saying that he was a regional champion but Douglas is a world champion Marty's tried to be a new man he's now a competitor, he's caught the attention of Shane Douglas but Douglas being a spotlight hog a media freak, he won't give up without a fight even if he needs to break legs or necks Marty's just a wannabe Ron Simmons, Sabu, Terry Funk they've all been found out and so would Flair and Hogan if they were brave enough 28 minutes Bob uninterrupted, absolutely epic. Well, bravo to Douglas for that, and bravo to you for, for, for that excellent recap. You take a quick break, rest your voice. Chris, what do you think? For someone that hasn't seen the whole of the Shane Douglas story in ECW, this was perfect for letting you know who he is, where he's come from, and why he is who he is. 
And it also makes everyone else seem insignificant to him in a way that sort of, you know, he, he's been given all these hurdles and he's grown and he's, he's better for it. And yes, Flair is running scared. Yes, he was seen as, you know, the dynamic dudes and he's above that. Yes, he's above, you know, being just Steamboat's partner. And the passion that comes across from him is infectious. You know, as, as, as I said, not really sort of following the product to the point where I know everything that's going on. Hearing how he comes across makes me want to support this guy. It makes me want to know more about him and see more and watch his struggle as he is the future of wrestling, not sports entertainment. He's not a gimmick. He is an athlete in a sport. And the way that he comes across, he legitimizes... Legitimizes, I believe, is the the one I'm looking for. Yes. You know, the company, as, as, you know, they are a sport, a wrestling company. It's a sport. It's not a show as such. And... As I say, it, it sort of makes you want to sort of go towards him and go, yes, he is the man. Yeah. I, I have one small negative about this promo, and it not really a massive one in the sense that I, it made sense in given what this promo was about. Um, but Douglas is in danger as much as the Flair thing's been quite good and as much as he's been calling him out. They're in danger of making Douglas look like a whiny, annoying guy who just can't get over the thing with Flair and all of that. And I kind of thought that the the Flair thing should have ended in December when he when Douglas Pyle drove um, sensuous or sensational Sherry. Um, but that being said, in this kind of context context the flare stuff definitely fit but i really hope that is the end of it because we are we are getting to the point now where it's one it's wearing a bit thin two it's the same kind of story and if douglas wants to paint himself above flair whining about the guy every month doesn't pull that effect off that all being said this was tremendous um in terms of one i think chris you, you probably signed it up very well in that you know it, it wasn't it wasn't a great promo in the sense that there were no like killer lines. It was just a very well delivered promo. And it's a 28 minute monologue. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's not something we see at all. And it's not something that's very easy to do or very easy to kind of make a great promo in the sense that it does go on a while. Um, but he executed it really well. And, and it was a great summation of the Shane Douglas story. And, and Chris, I think you, as you quite already said, it kind of, it, 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 it let the audience know his motivation and his reason for being and what he's all about. And what we will review um, uh, on the end of the 28th episode, it kind of gives some context to uh, to what follows there. Del, what do you think? I think the best things in wrestling, Bob, you can sum up in one word. We've seen that Chris Benoit's no match and it was just beautiful. This promo was, to every degree, just absolutely epic. I mean, nobody could deliver this but Shane Douglas and it's kind of we've spoke about it for months now we want to see Shane Douglas on a national stage he's not done himself any any injustice at all by this promo if people aren't watching this guy they should be if Shane Douglas isn't in a national promotion by the end of the year 
and you could probably argue should even be a world champion by the end of the year than something's far, far wrong. I don't know about a world champion inside 10 months in one of the big two. Um, if anybody could do it, Bob, well, all right. money would be on the franchise. All right. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. If, you know, he's ready. Um, in, in ter- he's not going to get any better in the role he's in. He's not going to improve yeah. any further. He's not going to get any more experience. He's ready. If I'm the WWF and I'm looking for an opponent for Diesel, he'd be a guy I'd call. If I'm WCW and I'm looking for an opponent for Hogan, He'd be a guard. Cool. He's in a great spot right now. You know, he's tearing it up and, and, and really it, it's just the hope that the, the people that are important are watching. We go back to the story last month with, with apparently Eric Bischoff, the first time he saw Sabu was, was on a, a tour of Japan in January. Um, and it's like, oh, that's a concern. If I'm Eric Bischoff and I, I've got the kind of clout that means I can kind of, you know, shortlist guys and kind of scout them. I'm watching ECW every week, and I don't know if he is, but if he sees that, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't bring Douglas in. You don't have to you have to put him with Hogan straight away. Hogan's got a program with, with Vader to be getting on with. He's got Savage to feud with. Flair may or may not be coming back fairly soon. Douglas would be fairly, fairly well served being at a level below that, certainly when he, when, as in if and when he got there. Um, but this was great. Really unique. Um, Del, uh, one small thing to disagree, I think when we, um, I don't know when, when you mentioned this, I wouldn't do this again for a while. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be Oh happy. yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that you can, you can see as a one-off and you want to remember it for what it is. Could nah. he do it again? He could probably do it tomorrow, Bob. Oh but yeah. We want to make that special because by God it was. Yeah, certainly was. Uh, we get uh, Richards versus Dream, which we reviewed earlier in the show. Uh, ECW paid tribute to the passing of LD Eddie Gilbert. Uh, and then highlights, highlights aired of, of Sandman and Cactus Jack from the Texas Death Match. And we move on to the 28th of February. Since then, we've had another ECW show. No, we're not going to review that because uh, this show will be about four hours long otherwise. Um, but Joe Styles interviews Raven. Mr. Richards here. Lost the Tommy Dreamer. failed again and another as in the past has let me down but in the thick dark echo the silence where suffering and anguish are lifelong companions the healing rains will come and I will collect my due in pain and wash my hands in blood. Let you down? What, what, who's you see, we cast adrift our fears, anxieties, and emotional baggage on a sea of hope. We live our lives in quiet desperation, waiting for divine providence to intervene and allow us to lead a fuller, happier life. We've had enough problems in the past. You want to shut up? We'll sell it right now. Let's just shut up, all right? Tommy Dreamer, it's not the time and it's not the place. But if you feel that you must unleash your anger, then go ahead. Let your rage go. Feel my pain. Feel what I feel, Tommy Dreamer, but know this. I won't go back. 
and you won't hit a man. Just keep your mouth shut. Gazes up through the murky depths. We will realize one thing: you can never escape the past. Tommy Dreamer, may God have mercy on his soul. Go for it. Raven cuts a largely nondescript promo, similar to what he's been doing in January. Dreamer comes out and confronts him and tells him to shut up. Raven tells him it's not the time or the place. Raven says you can never escape the past. Richard says, uh, Steve Richards obviously, says he's brought a couple of guys with him who roughed him up, him, Steve, um, who are going to uh, run Tommy Dreamer out of ECW. Turns out that it's Tony Stetson and Johnny Hotbody, the Broad Street, Broad, Broad Street Bullies. Raven is not impressed. He climbs to the ring and sits in the corner and Dreamer runs out with a stop sign. He went back in, went back backstage in the meantime and levels the Broad Street bullies and Richards and then squares up to Raven. Dreamer goes to strangle Raven who offers no defence to himself. Raven eventually charges Dreamer in the corner and the pair roll around on the mat brawling. The pair brawl into the R way and other members of the roster get involved. Chris, what do you think of this segment? It's a good setup for the inevitable Raven and Tommy Dreamer um, feud match that's going to be coming. Um, I was a little bit confused on why Raven sort of did the no selling of everything and sitting there just taking it to then just fly out. I, I would have thought it'd have been more impactful if it had just sort of not taken any of it and sort of maybe done it as a blindside attack than how he did it, but. I definitely, I definitely want to look forward to seeing Raven and Tommy Dreamer go at it. Del, it's just, it's really captivating for me, Bob. I think the character is just, you kind of casted a bit of doubt on it being no sold, and I mean, I think it, it just builds the intrigue for me. I think he's just, he just looks as if you would see him in a, a kind of sordid back room or a club somewhere. And I think there would be a lot of people, if they were to meet the guy, you would probably maybe fancy your chances with his size. But then you just look into those eyes and it's like, what is this guy? And I think it's just get a real good making with Tommy Dreamer. The way he's came on and evolved that that character for how he started off in the company. Seeing these two match up, I think it's just going to be really, really good to watch. Yeah, um, I'm... Uh, again, uh, like a lot with the Raven stuff, like it, it, it's different enough where I think I'm willing to forgive the fact that I don't think it's all that interesting yet. But it, it's more the case that in terms of this story that I get the sense is playing out, I, I think this is going to be playing out into kind of the latter half of this year, given kind of the, the way they've paced it so far. Admittedly, Tom Rear wasn't wasn't available at the TV tournament in January. Um, so, yeah, but it... it I, Again, another kind of decent Raven segment. I, I'm not seeing enough of Richards yet, but again, like the Richards thing, it's like, I can't tell if he's either just really bad or whether he's designed to be bad. Um, but he was, he was okay. It was quite odd having the Raven, having Raven kind of not really 
defending himself at all and then exploding. That was kind of interesting. But we've got to let this story develop. We, we still need to find out more about the, the, the backstory between these two. And perhaps it, it, with the benefit of hindsight, we'll be able to look back when this feud concludes in kind of six, eight months' time and go, ah, OK, th- that makes more sense because of what they addressed in March or April or whatever. Uh, anyway, we cut to an ECW home video from a live event from the previous week. During a match between Hack Myers and Paul Laurier, a large masked man interferes, knocking out Myers with one punch that's that's where that story ends for now at least uh we then cut to a promo with shane douglas chris benoit and dean malenko you've not spied upon the vaults at fort knox what you've spied upon is the vaults of the triple threat (laughs) packing so much gold that the brothers in the hood would be envious You see, it goes like this. Every great outcome is the result of a master plan, of a great strategy. Newt Rockney understood it. Vince Lombardi understood it. Oh, Chuck Noll understood it in the creation of the dynasty. The triple threat understands it. You see, we took this and we buried it and we created a new symbol of excellence in this sport. And it goes like this. We talked to each other a long time ago. And we decided that this great sport must be built on great athletes. And the master plan of the triple threat went like this. We're looking at a extreme championship wrestling television title. <laughs> and the Iceman, the shooter, Dean Malenko, delivered. We looked at the extreme championship wrestling world tag team champions. And the triple Chris Benoit and the shooter, my friend the Iceman, delivered. A long time ago, we spied upon the extreme championship wrestling heavyweight title. And I delivered. You see something, it's very rare in this sport that you've got three extremely gifted athletes. Like the shooter, Dean Malenko, the crippler, Chris Benoit. And the franchise, Shane Douglas, standing on one screen, facing America, facing the world, as the greatest athletes in this sport today. We got together a long time ago and said it's time that we put the rest, all this entertainment full crap, and bring this great sport back to what his dad knew it was, to what he knew it was, and to what I was familiar watching as I grew up. And today, in 1995, we established a symbol of excellence as being the triple threat. And anybody in this world today that calls themselves a wrestler and unknowingly in the back of their mind know that they're nothing more than entertainers, we create an invitation that says, come to our backyard. Come to extreme championship wrestling. It don't matter if it's New York City. It don't matter if it's Philadelphia, New Orleans, Birmingham, Alabama, Tokyo, Japan, someplace in Germany. It doesn't matter. If you consider yourselves great athletes and the gold is what you're looking for, it all resides in one residency called the Triple Threat. <laughs> Tell him, Crippler. <laughs> oh, he dangerously. Tasmaniac. The self-proclaimed great Sabu. You all thought that by wearing the gold around your waist, 
by winning the ECW Tag Team Champion that you would attain the level of respect that you would attain the level of credibility where you couldn't have been further from reality because it's not the belt that gives the wrestler credibility it's the wrestler that gives the belt credibility the world of professional wrestling has seen the decay due to the fact that the so-called champions weren't champions they were nothing more than entertainers well now the world of professional wrestling has witnessed the triple threat true champions athletes the world of professional wrestling has something to be proud of the one territory extreme championship wrestling where three true champions can be found none other than the franchise Shane Douglas the shooter Dean Malenko and the crippler Chris Benoit Del, we, we were about 15 seconds into this promo and I think this is already my favourite wrestling faction it's, it's very hard to pick a fault in it Bob you mean you talk about the the horseman in their heyday was as good a unit, as tight a unit as you're going to get when you've got the likes of Flair as a talker, you've got Arn as an enforcer, Blanchard and Wyndham. I mean, it, it's very rare to get a machine that looks in such pristine condition as this one could be. Franchise has been doing it and doing it and doing it for months and end. And we've always spoke about we just want them to be matched up with an equal. We thought we were going to see it as an opponent, but seeing this as an alliance, it's it's just brilliant. I mean, the the fact that they've got the belts already. I mean, well, all of the belts. The... To emphasise, Malenko, we, we haven't really touched on his TV champion. So all of the ECW yep. titles are within Every these Every title three. is with these three guys. We've seen the the devastation that Benoit can cause. I mean, especially looking back to last month with that that suplex and Sabu and Joey Styles using the the pen to highlight the crack in the neck and things. Malenko is he really is a shooter. I mean, these three guys, even just for a character point of view, they're just perfectly suited. Chris Benoit is a crippler. Dean Malenko is a shooter, and Shane Douglas is the franchise. And having the three of them together, as I said, God help the rest of the roster. Chris? I, everything Dell just said, you know, the, these do remind me very much of what was great about the Horsemen in the 80s. Um, you've got, you've got someone of each flavor as such, you know, you've got all your bases covered and they are legitimate. It's the one thing with these guys is you wouldn't doubt any of them in a fight, and they they all have something to to go with as well. And I would definitely want to see more of these three all together and see them stay together for for a good year or so with all the belts. I think they could they could run a dynasty here. Uh, I mean. 
for about three or four moments of ECW this month, I just sat watching with a shit-eating grin, and this was one of those moments. I just went, it looks so good. And to, to quickly clarify, because also we played the tape, um, and Douglas does kind of reference it, you've got kind of Milenko just stood to the, to kind of Douglas's left, kind of just admiring his two titles and just being very quiet um and also you hear from the other two so to, to clarify that but this was phenomenal um i think i think even less what they said and we'll, we'll come to benoit in a second and his promos and all of that but even less what they said and kind of more just it looked right it just looked perfect um let's talk about chris benoit we'll come away from the, the tv review for a minute we've certainly got um a very big thing to come back to at the end um but Dell, you know reports from, from from guys in the ecw arena about um benoit kind of what ecw regulars saying benoit's the best guy who's ever appeared there in terms of a wrestler which is high praise indeed comparing him with with sabu and terry funk um when benoit first arrived probably about six uh six or so months ago i would have said um he was a very crisp athletic wrestler, but that was about it. Kind of a bit where Al Snow is now, almost. Yeah. Um, one, dare I say, his wrestling has got better, but two, and as we reported in the news, with, with a lot of, kind of a lot of input, a lot of help from, from Paul Heyman, um, he's phenomenal. The wings are getting spread a bit, aren't they? Which is the frightening thing. It's like, where else can this guy go? And as you say, I mean, getting that kind of praise in an arena that's seen the likes of Terry and Dory Funk in it. You've got um, franchise Shane Douglas there every week. I mean, it's certainly high, high praise. I mean, I don't know about you, Bob, but going back to to August in that NWA title tournament, I'd never heard of the guy. I must admit. I mean, no. I know he came in with a, a legacy working in Japan, and I think he kind of went through the pretty much after being Canada, I'd went through that heart dungeon. But it's certainly someone I never knew a lot about, and. Even having having Chris on the show as well, going back to Triple A last year that we reviewed, we seen that side of him as well, where he was able to kind of match up with with guys fighting our kind of lucha style. And I mean, there's just so many strings to this guy's bow. I mean, is the promo there yet? I don't think so. But for the gimmick that he's got, and he's got it done at a fine art, it doesn't need to be. He's a crappler. He goes into the ring, he cripples people, and it's it almost comes off better when he's not a solid character gimmick promo because he shouldn't be he should be almost robotic it should be like a almost like a terminator coming into the wrestling business where it's just absolutely no no forethought for anyone else but himself and just mechanically working his way to the top which i can't see him not doing well i mean it in many ways, he's the kind of the gap between Malenko and uh, and, uh, and Douglas in the sense yeah. that Malenko's the guy that doesn't talk at all. He lets his actions do the speak, speaking for him. Douglas is a guy who talks a lot, and, and all right, he can wrestle as well. Benoit's the kind of guy that, you know, his promos certainly aren't polished, although they're, they're definitely improving. Um, but equally, I kind of think it almost enhances the acts in that, one, his, his promos are at a point where they certainly don't sound awkward. They sound kind of very reserved. Yeah. And so he can almost be a little bit kind of calmer and slower, and it fits the character. Uh, Chris, what do, you th- what do you think of Benoit? I, I think that he has a massive potential. Um, as Del was saying, seeing watching him in AAA when we did When Worlds Collide, 
and he could have been from AAA. You know, he he was fit so well with that style. He comes here and seeing that match with Al Snow, and it's it's snugged like a Japanese match, yet technically sound and great chain wrestling and everything about it just sort of drags you in. He has got that down. And as Del was saying, he doesn't need to be a character promo. He just does need to be, I'm here, this is what I'm going to do, and you know I can do it. There doesn't need to be a catchphrase, there doesn't need to be a gimmick, it just needs to be, I'm here, I'm going to kick your ass, and guess what, you know I can. Yeah, the the kind of guy that I hope isn't snapped up by one of the big two companies too soon because I think he's in a very good place working with Heyman and working on developing that side of his arsenal really, um, in terms of getting the character around and fleshing himself out as a worker. He, I mean, as a worker, we can already talk about him alongside the likes of of Bret Hart and well, maybe, maybe not maybe not alongside the likes in terms of so he doesn't have the kind of the back catalogue of work, but in terms of I, I think right now he is peers with the the very top of the industry in North America, um, and, and so yeah, he he will. But I, I do hope that he doesn't get to the top, the top company too quickly because his wrestling's certainly there. And, and all right, there is a way that if you were really smart about it, you could certainly kind of put him in like near a main event picture and kind of work over his weaknesses. But I think he's, he's better off working with Paul Heyman certainly in the short term. But I mean, what a month. I mean, Dell, I feel like you, you're going to have to do your power rackings at the end of the month. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, but, but in terms of, what on the match with Al Snow, which was great. Two, the Super Bomb, which was great. The promo afterwards, which we heard earlier, was really good. This promo here was really good. He's on top of his game right now. My only concern with him and those three, I don't know how long ECW are going to be able to keep hold of them. That's the shame, Chris. And I, I know you were talking about them having kind of a dynasty in ECW. I don't know how long before like, I'd pick them all up. Dare I, just, I say, yep, three of them end up with one company, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would certainly do that. Anyway, we move on to the main event of the final show of the month. Uh, Sandman isn't medically cleared to face Cactus Jack, so Woman has a mystery opponent for him to face. The opponent is in a massive crate at ringside, and it's DC Drake, a local wrestler in the Northeast known for his violent style. After a largely forgettable match, Jack wins with his DDT. Immediately afterwards, Sandman lays into Cactus Jack with the cane. Jack gains the upper hand pretty quickly, even choking out Woman. Jack puts Sandman in the box, but Sandman climbs back out covered in a cape. Except it isn't Sandman. It's Terry Funk, and the ECW arena explodes. Sandman joins in on a 2-on-1 beatdown, and the pair run off some lower-card guys who can't help. Jack gets Funk alone and grabs a cane, but Funk stays upright despite multiple shots. Funk and Sandman continue the beatdown. Dreamer runs out and invades multiple cane shots from Sandman before dishing out a few of his own. Dreamer squares up to Funk, who slaps him with less than rights. Dreamer, the story is told, had Funk as a father figure last time they were both in the company, said he's, who was his inspiration. He shapes the fight back, but before he does, Sandman attacks him. Jack begs for help on the microphone, the uh, the microphone in the arena, and Shay Douglas comes out. Style says that Douglas and Jack went to the same wrestling school together and were both trained by Dominic DiNucci. Funk uh, greets Douglas as like his friend, but Douglas seems remorseful. 
Warren tries to recruit the franchise. Funk wants the franchise to attack Jack, but Douglas attacks Funk and Sandman with his belt, and the crowd explode. Del, I've watched this segment four times this week. It was <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I, I don't know if Sandman has got a copyright on shock reveals that just make you applaud the TV bar, but if he hasn't, he should. I mean, the full, the, the 28th, Additionally, Hardcore TV, I was kind of expecting it to be a recap, and it wasn't that the crowd just went ballistic that it even got me looking up at the TV. So I kind of watched it in reverse. It was like, you see Funk, and it's like, how the hell did... He's wearing the same stuff as that. How... What's going... Right, run it back. Watched it, and then I see the changeover with the... With the crate at ringside, and it was like, oh, that's, that's quite good. How did, how did that come about though? It's not as if they've done that perfectly. Rewind it back, start of the match, eyes glued to the TV, you see the crate coming out, you see the switch over, you see the reveal, and I literally stood up and clapped the TV. It was just absolutely stunning. Chris? It, it was done so, so well. Um, the fact that we know the history between Jack and Funk sort of makes it even even better. You know, it it's just it drags you, and you know that you're gonna get greatness out of these two together, and you also know that it is gonna be violent. And I I I want to see more. I want to know where this is going, and I want to see what what we're going to get at the end of it and then having Shane sort of as well it it just was like all all of it together was ECW has got some great booking and this is it done well I almost don't want to talk about this angle much more. Just to plead with people to just find watch it. watch it. Don't I'll listen to us. Don't waste your time. Just watch it. It's amazing. Well, hear the end of the show out first. Um, <laughs> Hardcore TV, February 28th, 1995. Find the last 15 minutes of this show. This was tremendous. In, in 18 months of doing this project, easily the favourite thing, match, promo, angle, best thing I've seen. It was, it was phenomenal. And I, I, I don't really think I can do it justice. I say just go out and watch it. And, and there's stuff we can talk about with Douglas and Jack, but I think we're better off leaving that for next month. Um, just because we, we probably need to let that story develop, but that was great. I mean, just the, the ECW crowd popped twice in about five minutes. It was amazing, but what a way to end the month. And that will, will wrap up well volume Two, um, you'll have probably already heard volume one, but volume one will be covering WCW Super Bowl and WWF stuff, which we're going to tape uh, next week. Um, but anyway, that'll end volume two first. So I'd like to thank Del Muir. Del, thank you very much. Thanks again, Bob. Nice to have somebody else on board and just can't wait for more ECW 95. Excellent, excellent. And you're on Twitter, Del? Yeah, Twitter, Del underscore Muir, D-E-L underscore M-U-I-R. Loads of stuff on the the wrestling, wrestling 20 YRS website blogs on there. There's power rankings to come at the end of the month as well. Start of March, they'll probably be released. Check out everything that you need. Chris Lacey. Chris, thank you very much. You're welcome, Rob. How, how have was... you enjoyed your, your first full foray into ECW? It's wanting me want more, especially with, you know, we've, we've got 
the Benoit thing going on, Douglas, Jack and Funk. There's there's so much that makes you want to come back and watch more of this. And Jason. And Jason. And and, and the sexiest man alive. Uh, especially Jason. J- Jason, Jason 1A to Benoit and Douglas. But, uh, Chris, uh, you're on Twitter. At Lacey555666. And you, you have a podcast reviewing, uh, WCW events. Tell, tell us about that and where people can listen. It is the history of WCW from the very beginning of the NWA's first paper, well, super show that was, uh, the original Starcade in 83 all the way through. Um, at the minute we've just got into 80, the arse end of 88 and we've had some viewers come from across from here from hearing me on here talking about it oh good thank you very much excellent it's good to know that people get this far into the show so they can hear you plug it um but yeah that's very good to hear and and also some interesting news and i'm giddy with excitement for this is that i I have requested that when uh, chris and his co-host tom get to uh wcw battle bowl 1993 um that i come on the show to help review it because we we did battle bowl 18 months ago i watched it but i only reviewed it for about three or four minutes on the show because it was a uh, I think it was November 93 and there was like a clash, there was uh, Survivor Series, there was some other stuff to review, we had the stuff with um, Sid Vicious and all that stuff there was stuff with the beginning of the steroid trial I think as well, so much to review that we didn't have time to do Battle Bowl and WCW didn't promote it like we should have done anyway um, but uh, having watched that show and, and like, easily the worst wrestling show I have ever seen, now we're yet to review King of the Ring 95 out of 20 years ago now, but we're going to do that in a few months and I can't wait for that. Um, but yes, I will be appearing on the Super Rules podcast, um, when, uh, when they get to that. I think we, I think Chris, we, we, we discussed it before we came on air. We reckon we will do that in about kind of six to nine months time, I think. Yeah. Probably, probably... Just, just in time for, you know, King of the Ring. Well, 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 we'll get past that, I would have thought. I mean, King of the Ring is in June. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a sadistic couple of months, that, reviewing King of the Ring and then going back and watching Battle Bowl. But honestly, can't wait, because it's so bad. But I, I might even kind of tack your review on to the end of mine. If oh, So it'll be about two hours, actually, probably not. Um, Chris, did you tell us where people can listen? I forgot. You can find us on the Twitter at Super Brawls, on the iTunes at Super Brawls, and we're on Facebook as well, at Super Brawls. All nice and easy to find. All the links are all there. Um, we sort of we normally get a show up every couple of weeks, so fairly sort of steady pace to them. Very very cool. Anyway, just a couple of admin notes. Bit bit dull. Um, yeah, the the, the week we're recording this on the uh, February the twentieth, uh, two thousand fifteen. Had some website issues this week. I've had to kind of rip it apart a bit, rebuild it a little bit. Um, but I'll strip the website down a bit. It should work a lot better on your mobile. It wasn't about two days ago. Um, but yeah, so I've taken a few things out, but it should be a lot faster now, and I've stripped a few things down and all of that. Uh, but anyway, that, that'll, that'll do that. And, and, and just the, the usual plugs at the end of the show. We're on iTunes. If you're on there, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, all of the above. Uh, RSS feed is on the website. If you kind of use a, a pod, podcast app that is in iTunes, that's all there. We're on Facebook.com, Paul slash wrestling 20 YRS. Uh, we're on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS, Wrestling20YRS.com for all of our blogs. I am going to write a review um, of that Funk 
Douglas Jack Sandman segment. Uh, I'm one interested in the, we, we can do a, a tiny little discussion point on the end. Uh, Dale, I mean, in, in terms of the, all the ECW stuff that gets shown in the documentaries, and I've written about this before, that segment for me was, was more impressive than anything they've ever done. And yet I, I don't ever recall that being seen. And I think, I guess it's just because Funk and, and Douglas just aren't WWE guys. And so therefore it's the kind of thing that I look, I, I think this stands up to anything, uh, Dreamer and, uh, and Sandman did last year. Same with the Douglas promo as well, Bob. You wouldn't even know they exist. I mean, we never actually touched on it this month, but even try to pick out a moment of the month for that. You've got Douglas Promo, the Al Snow and Chris Benoit match. You've got the the Funk reveal at the end. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of stuff. It just gets totally over overwritten in the annals of history when you're looking at it back for a, a WWE point of view. And it's just an absolute crime that more people don't know the real story of what was, what was going on at this time. Because as we know, coming into 1995, it's not going to be a stellar year for us. It wasn't a stellar year for the business in 95 either. But when you've got stuff like this and we're only sitting in February, there's definitely some good, good stuff going on. And it just should be more people noticing the positives at this time. Yeah, that's one thing I don't quite like about this project is that we can um, go back and look at it. Well, you did mention moments of the month. Uh, that will all become clear um, on Volume 1, which admittedly most people will have heard by now. Um, but Volume 1, I'm going to replace moments of the month with what Bob recommends to watch just because moments of the month doesn't really work now that we've got multiple shows, multiple tapings, multiple people, all the above. Um, so, yeah, we're going to replace that with a new segment where I just review everything that I think you should watch, go back and find. Um, I'm not doing it now because I haven't watched Super Brawl yet, um, and so I can't really comment on, on that as well. Uh, but, yeah, for the ECW stuff that we've seen, everything we've praised, go and find, would be the long story short. But anyway, that will wrap up this much show. We've got nothing else to say, really. Uh, I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast of February of 1995. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>